Yesterday's Satnya Dhamma talk, as you will surely remember, it was on three qualities that might be very useful for practice. The first one being patience, and then the second one being neutrality of mind in the Pali scripture language known as Tatra Majatata or simply as Upika. And Satya then we also discussed particular aspects, key aspects of a particular insight knowledge, namely of the knowledge of equanimity about certain formations. And Satna just Satna to then apply some of those Satna aspects to one's own practice. Now, obviously, patience and neutrality are qualities that are helpful not only during intensive practice but also outside of intensive retreat, so for life in general. And yesterday we ran out of time and therefore we couldn't finish the Dhamma talk and so today I'll speak on composure since this gets frequent or gets mentioned in the definitions in connection with the knowledge of equanimity about formations and then we'll briefly touch on the six-factored equanimity and this then will be followed on mind on well mindfulness of um, activities at general activities or clear comprehension of activities mindfulness and clear comprehension of activities now a good way to approach shutting composure is to first look at its opposite, namely a lack of composure. Oftentimes people don't necessarily understand what is meant by composure. Now a lack of composure comes when we strain, when we clench our teeth and in our meditation practice when we force the practice. And then in the course of this approach we get all tensed up and we might be practicing with excessive effort. Now, this straining may happen during a retreat, but it might also happen outside of an intensive retreat. Common, some of the common causes for the arising of Fatna straining would be setting standards, being very ambitious, having high expectations, and then a lot of self or ego being involved, plus applying or exerting excessive Fatna effort. Now, the Pali scriptural term for composure is Santitana. And certainly its etymology 
is you know, can be then related to you know, the verb santiteti. Antiteti means to you know, stand, to stand still, to remain, to continue, plus you know, the prefix san, so santiteti. There's you know, several meanings to you know, this Pali you know, verb, and one of them is to be you know, settled and then to be composed. So those two are relevant in our context, apart from to be established and to be put in order and to restrain oneself and to wait for. But those are not really relevant. Now, the term, the Pani term Santitani, Santitana, has been you know, translated as composure. The Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhivams of Burma has proposed you know, the translation as firmness or um, without a state, you know, without uh, uh, concern. And then retention of composure would be another way of expressing it. Now, in the English language, composure has been defined, explained as a state of being calm and in control of one's certain feeling or behavior. Or that one is uh, remains self-possessed and not easily uh, disturbed or perturbed. Now, other ways of uh, explaining um, what is meant to be uh, by uh, to be composed is to say uh, to be even-tempered or even-keeled. Uh, uh, Now, the term composure is suddenly being mentioned in both of the definitions that we can find on the knowledge of equanimity towards certain formations, both the Visuddhi Magga and the Patisambhida Magga definition. And composure as part of the Patisambhida Magga definition, Patisambhida Magga is your path of discrimination, means composure towards the 15 essentials of life. So the main events, major events in uh, uh, the life of a human being. Now, among those certain major events, we have the arising of an object, an object lasting, and certainly then also the dissolution of an object, as well as the beginning of our human existence, so birth, and then and then things like aging, sickness, and certain death, sorrow, lamentation, and certain despair. So, in the face of maybe suffering from a terminal disease or death occurring, death of a relative occurring, it's actually not so easy to maintain one's composure. 
And it is in, under such circumstances that certain composure is a helpful way of dealing with it. Now, this composure is mentioned also with regard to the arising of the hindrances, which are familiar to us as retreatants, and they come up at various points in the practice. Now, when we come across those hindrances for let's say the first time, second time, third time, and then those hindrances may still at times seem um, overwhelming, difficult to deal with. We don't know what to do with them. So we have no composure at such a point. However, if we have, if we had to face the hindrances already maybe 20 times at different points in our practice, we are pretty familiar with them, nothing new, and so we also know how to deal with them properly, we know how to overcome them, and suddenly then, when those hindrances are there, we can address them with an attitude of composure, without much shutting concern. Now, Venerable Jnanarama, a well-known Sri Lankan Buddhist scholar as well as Satna meditation master, has spoken of composure in the following ways. He says that this implies the continuity of knowledge or the occurrence of a series of knowledges as an unbroken process. So involved here is something similar to dealing with the hindrances. When you, when the practice is already quite nicely developed, then it's quite likely that certain one is already well acquainted with the various insight knowledges, and one knows exactly what to do when they come up. And so when they at times arise in a series, one by one, and some of the experiences nonetheless may be challenging at times, then one retains one's certain composure and the process doesn't get suddenly broken, doesn't get suddenly interrupted, one doesn't get stuck here or there. Now, retreatants have referred to this composure as an emotional stability and suddenly the mind feeling rather strong and stable. 
Now, furthermore, the mind said that neither, well, furthermore, just not losing one's temper. Now, the Buddha for sure is a role model, an example for composure, namely that he was totally composed towards everything and everyone, even though at times he was challenged in major ways, namely attempts at taking his life were made. So, when our mindfulness practice deepens, then the focus should be not only on the development of equanimity towards formations, but also on a development of more and more composure. And so, as practice goes on, one becomes more skilled in both of those certain qualities. Now, during the previous Dhamma talk, last night, there was mention first of patience and then of that neutrality, Tatra Maja Tata in the Pali scriptural language. Tatra Maja Tata, literally translated, means the state of or the state of being there in the middle. So a state of fitness centeredness. Now, various kinds of you know, equanimity are you know, being mentioned, such as uh, you know, the equanimity as arises you know, during you know, the con or the meditation on the divine abiding, so the Brahmaviharas, and certainly then equanimity as an enlightenment factor, equanimity or balance of energy, and certainly then you know, we have certain equanimity of jhana and, you know, and so on in equanimity about certainly inside equanimity you know, as a feeling. Now, this Chalang Upeka is one of these ten kinds of equanimity, and it, in essence, corresponds to Tatra Majjhatta. Now, the Pali term for six-factored equanimity is Chalang Upeka. Now the term can be broken up into Cha, Anga, and Upeka. Cha meaning six, Anga is factor, and you know, Upeka means equanimity. So six factored equanimity. Now, equanimity towards what? What are the six factors? Yes, that's correct. The six sense doors or the objects that arise at the six sense doors. Now, 
in the course of an intensive retreat, as well as you know, during life in you know, general, we then come across you know, sense impressions at the eye door, the ear door, the nose door, you know, the tongue door, body door, and mind door uh, all the time. And among the formations that occur, some of them will be desirable to our liking and others will be undesirable, not necessarily to our liking. In the Pali language, desirable objects or pleasant objects are known as ita, itaramna, and then unpleasant or undesirable objects are known as anita ramana. Aramana is certainly your uh, object. And so the challenge is not just to develop equanimity towards the rising and falling and maybe some pain, but towards all formations that are occurring at certain of the six certain saint stores. Now, this is actually not so easy you know, to you know, do. The problem is that when the mind is not properly developed, it certainly will uh, react. In the absence of mindfulness, when a desirable or pleasant object comes up, liking will arise. Again, in the absence of mindfulness, when an unpleasant or undesirable object comes up, then naturally disliking, ill will, aversion will uh, arise. And in, again, in the absence of mindfulness, when a neutral object suddenly comes up, then ignorance might suddenly arise because we don't see the true nature of the object. Now, with this, our relationship to the sense impressions that are you know, taking place will be not even. We will be taking a so-called uneven outlook. Now, how do we then balance you know, this uneven outlook so that it becomes an even or balanced outlook? Obviously, you know, this cannot be done by you know, thinking nor by reading books, but rather you know, through you know, mental development. Now, this Chalang-Upeka is said to be perfectly fulfilled in an Arahant. And among the ten different certain kinds of equanimity yeah, that certain the Patisamira Maga mentions, it is this Chalang Upeka, the six-factored equanimity, which ranks as certain the highest, uh, the most uh, precious. Now, the fact that certain Chalang Upeka ideally exists or perfectly is fulfilled in an Arahant does this mean that it's not possible for us Satna to experience this? Does it mean this or not? It doesn't. 
During the knowledge of equanimity about certain formations, when our equanimity is quite certainly good and quite continuous, then at times at least we'll be having, we'll be experiencing that equanimity towards all formations arising at the six sudden sense doors. At that point, a certain high degree of mental purity will be there, and as our mind will be rather sharp and concentrated, wisdom is also strong, then whatever object arises at the sense doors, whether it is desirable or not, it doesn't matter. The mind deals with it in a balanced manner. At that point, there is certainly usually a state of absence of gladness and sadness. And the text, the Angutra Nikaya, speaks of this. It says, Upekakocha viharati satocha sampajana, which means one dwells in equanimity, mindful and fully comprehending. And then, as a further explanation of this, the Pali says, Chakuna Rupandiswa niva sumano hoti nadumano upekakocha. Which means here, you know, the bhikkhu or retreatant whose cankers, you know, whose taints are destroyed, is neither glad nor sad on seeing an object with the eye when dwells in equanimity, mindful and clearly comprehending. So the mind suddenly then is keeping to the middle of all things. Yes. Um, this is uh, within the, as I understand, the sequence of um, the twelve steps of dependent origination where you have a sense object, the sense organ, consciousness come together to create contact. Mm -hmm. And in the absence of mindfulness, uh, contact leads to feeling, mm -hmm. and craving follows from that. Is this the area that you're, you're, you're addressing here for composure and it's certainly composure at certain at the time, ideally at the time of contact, and certainly then not also at certain at the time of feeling and perception. I know. So as soon as possible in that certain process. I know. The sooner, the better. And in line you know, with you know, the Buddha's instructions to you know, Bahia, when there is the you know, seeing, there is just the bare seeing without any you know, projections, uh, any cluttering of you know, the mind. And so when hearing, there's just the bare hearing and you know, nothing, you know, nothing else. 
and now. Now, this certain form of or of neutrality has been illustrated, for instance, by the venerable Saida Upandita Biwamsa as driving along in a car that is in cruise control on an interstate that is pretty much free of traffic and all you need to do is just hold on to the steering wheel. And certainly then there is this neutrality about certain formations. Now, maybe this much with regard to the six-factor equanimity. And now, let us go on and take a closer look first at the instructions on clear comprehension and mindfulness of activities. And then we'll take... We'll deal with some aspects of clear comprehension. Now, both in the long discourses of the Buddha as well as in the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, we find as part of the Satipatthana or Mahasatipatthana Sutta this passage on clear comprehension of activities. And this passage goes as follows. It's well known. And I'll quote the translation by Venerable Bhikkhu Nyanamuli and Satnebeku Bodhi. Again, a retreatant is one who acts with clear comprehension when going forward and returning, who acts with clear comprehension when looking ahead and looking away, who acts with clear comprehension when flexing and extending the limbs, who acts with clear comprehension when wearing this for the monastics, the ropes and carrying one's outer rope and ball, or we can say in general, when wearing one's certain clothing, who acts with clear comprehension when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, who acts with clear comprehension when defecating and urinating, who acts with clear comprehension when walking, standing, sitting, uh, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and certainly keeping silent. Now, the same passage, more or less the same passage from the Samanyapana, the Sutta of the Diganikaya, then speaks of not only clear comprehension but also of mindfulness. And so there it says, um, How is a retreating accomplished in mindfulness and clear comprehension? And then the answer is, one acts with clear awareness in going forth and back and suddenness on and so forth. Now, so far, in our explanations of 
footnote related to the Satipatthana Sutta. We have footnote spoken of. We footnote discussed the gist of the instructions relating to a mindful contemplation of the body feelings and certainly then the mind and suffered dhammas. Then there was there was one dhamma talk on mindfulness of postures, contemplation of postures. And so now we'll focus on the third item among the body contemplations, namely the clear comprehension of activities. So our mindfulness is not concerned only with mindfulness of the sitting practice and the walking practice, but also to a great extent mindfulness of general activities. And Unfortunately, this mindfulness of general activities somehow or other doesn't uh, all the time, or at times doesn't get all that much attention. It's kind of like, well, this we treat as like the least important certain aspect of our mindfulness practice. Now. What this does then is certainly that our mindfulness throughout the day won't be all that certainly continuous. So activities are part of our practice. Now, the instruction, or since certainly the instructions speak of a clear comprehension in connection with you know, the activities, then we need to know what is meant by clear comprehension. Now, this has been defined in the text as acting in a clearly conscious way. So, not to act in a haphazard or impulsive manner, but one is really conscious, aware of what one is doing. One does so things with intention, with uh, in a deliberate manner. The party for this is Sampajana Kari Hoti. Now, this clear comprehension is a term that is not always well understood because it takes on different meanings in different certain passages. And some of those certain meanings are quite certain, quite apart. Now, clear comprehension has been explained in the context of the Satipatthana meditation practice as being aware or conscious 
of activities that precede one's sitting practice. So let's say when one has taken one's meal and suddenly then sits down in an appropriate place and suddenly then begins one's mindfulness practice. So the mindfulness satna then the mindfulness is satna focused for the most part on various phenomena occurring during the seating itself whereas the clear comprehension is more towards satna what one is going to do oftentimes prior to taking up a particular posture Now, in the course of a day, we might engage in a great variety of different activities. Some of these activities might be directly related to our meditation practice, others might not really be related. And it is there that the clear comprehension comes in, that we're clearly conscious of what we're doing or what we're just about certain to do. So, while we are on a retreat, our emphasis is on being mindful from moment to moment, and we refrain from extensive studies, from reading, and then if for some reason the idea comes up, okay, I have this computer with me and also some videos, practice is so boring, Boring. let me watch some video in my room. Nobody will see this and then I'll surely get away with it. Maybe so, but your own practice is likely to suffer. And so, before actually implementing this this idea or this proposal, one should carefully reflect whether this is really in line with one's practice or not, whether this is beneficial and what the purpose of this is and whether it's suitable or not. And certainly then one might come to the conclusion that it's certainly not really uh, helpful for practice and then one drops certainly the idea. Now, in Burma, 
at Satna, one of the meditation centers of well-frequented Satna by foreign retreatants as well as Satna, local Burmese Satna retreatants, it Satna once happened that a foreign meditator, while still on retreat, he was Satna, oftentimes Satna showering together with Satna, the local uh, Burmese Satna monks and samaners and uh, lay retreatants, male retreatants, and Satna. So uh, he got really you know, f interested in learning the Burmese language. And while he was still on retreat, he then you know, set out on his on this new project, and suddenly then you know, tried to you know, acquire the first you know, some first basic you know, Burmese you know, phrases. Now, what do you think? Is this really appropriate on an intensive retreat? Not really. And suddenly, so. With regard to such kind of things, that we do need to make this check and then decide how to proceed. So there are activities that are that support our practice. There are other activities that are counterproductive. The commentaries explain clear comprehension as follows, namely they talk of four areas or four aspects related to clear comprehension. And certainly so. The first one of these is Satna, known in the Pali scripture language as Sataka Sampajanya, clear comprehension of one's purpose or benefit. So the purpose or benefit of what one is planning to do. Now, during the previous Satna May retreat, Joseph added or explained Satna this point in a nice Satna way, and Satna said that Satna, what is involved here is not just to look at the benefit or purpose, but also one's motivation that lies under, that underlies. The aspect of purpose or benefit, and so to carefully check what is one's certain motivation, is the motivation one that helps practice or maybe goes against the practice. Now, the second form of clear comprehension is clear comprehension of the suitability in the Pāṇitna scriptural language. So even though some planned activity or project might be quite beneficial and certainly there might be a good purpose to it, yet it might not necessarily be suitable.
If you happen to be a medical doctor and you're on an intensive fitness retreat, it's good for you to practice. But if the idea comes up to maybe start a clinic, open a clinic from you know, 1 p.m. until 2 p.m. and then invite all the yogis to come if they are in need of medical attention, then this might not be really suitable. And now, as certain of the third aspect in connection with clear comprehension, we have Gochara Sampajanya in the Pani scripture language, which means clear comprehension of domain or territory. So a cow or cattle will have to stay in a certain territory and grace in that fenced off area. The same thing also for domesticated horses and so on. Now, as retreatants, we are advised also to stick to our domain. And our domain or territory is that of the four establishments of mindfulness. So as long as we stay within that domain, we are fine. But if we start veering off, we're no longer in the force in the field of the four satipatthanas. Then something is missing or is going wrong. So, if we sit in meditation and we spend hours on let's say, you know, indulging in sensuous thoughts without being mindful of them, just enjoying you know, them, you know, then you know, we are, we're not labeling them, not observing them, not knowing their nature, and just welcoming them, enjoying them, and so on, and then we're no longer in the domain of Fatness Satipatthana. Now, the fourth form or aspect of clear comprehension is that of clear comprehension of non-delusion or of reality of the activity concerned, asamohatna in the Pali scriptural language, which one might describe in different terms as the discernment of things in their true nature, free from delusion. So some aspect of wisdom is included here. Now, sometimes these certain two factors, namely clear comprehension and mindfulness, get mixed up. Sometimes retreatants are under the impression that they are both one and the same. So clear comprehension comes under mindfulness. But this is really not the case. So if we compare the classical definition for 
mindfulness, with you know, the classical definition for clear comprehension, then it becomes certainly pretty obvious. So in the case of mindfulness, its characteristic is that of non-superficiality, so not, stay, not skimming over the surface of an object, and so, um, its function is um, not to forget the object, non-forgetfulness, and then it is manifested as a state of confrontation or, secondly, as a state of guardianship or protection. Now, in the case of clear comprehension, its characteristic is that of non-confusion. Its function is to investigate and certainly it is manifested as scrutiny. Now, the function tells you already what this clear comprehension is all about. Namely, it says non-confusion. So, in the absence of confusion, what is there? Wisdom is there. So, now this clear comprehension is a form of wisdom, and it has been referred to as an incipient initial form of wisdom. And a type of wisdom that has the potential to grow into full wisdom, fully fledged wisdom. And for the most part, yeah, this clear comprehension concerns itself you know, to you know be conscious of what one is doing and certainly then to check whether it's beneficial, whether what the purpose of this is, and certainly then the suitability, whether one is still in you know, one's uh, you know, territory, and certainly then the um, you know, wisdom aspect. Now, in the course often intensive footnote retreat we are advised to be mindful of some general activities like taking a meal and suddenly then maybe taking a shower and suddenly things like this however there's much more to it and when it comes to an activity like eating, so this is part of taking a meal, so we sit there at breakfast and suddenly we have one half of, a, what do you call that, a bagel? Bagel, bagel not bagel, yeah, sorry. A bagel lying in front of you. So you, you know, put some butter on it and suddenly then maybe some jam or some you know, peanut butter and then you start suddenly eating it. Now, as you um, put the food into the mouth and then as you're chewing the first chunk of this bagel, are you really fully aware of the different aspects involved here? Are you aware of the texture of that chunk of bagel? Are you aware of the temperature element? Are you aware of the density of it? And then the taste of it? Do you really get the full taste of it? On one occasion, 
the venerable Sadhupanita staged a really simple but quite effective example or did an experiment. Namely, during a retreat in Hungary, both of us were sharing a table at the breakfast at breakfast, and suddenly so he took a slice of brown bread and he would take one bite of it. And without taking any sip of tea or milk or any liquid, he would patiently chew and chew and also count. And he had to chew 30 times until finally he got to, or he came to know the taste of brown bread. And it turned out to be quite sweet. Now, do we always know, you know the taste of you know, the food that we are you know, eating? So this is something you know, to you know, pay attention to in the context of you know, mindful and clear you know, comprehension of you know, general activities. There are you know, other uh, activities that really lend you know, themselves you know, to a mindful and uh, um, uh, observation with certainly or, or you know, uh, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, such as bowing down. So if one does this really slowly and with utter you know, mindfulness and uh, fully conscious of what one is uh, doing, then so many details can be discovered. Various sensations in the back, especially in the spine, as it turns more and more, and then maybe the touching of the forehead of the ground, and then you know, the process of gradually coming up again and then bowing a second time and suddenly then a third time. So there's much shutnet to be you know, discovered suddenly there. When we do this, do we do this just automatically in a mechanical you know, way? Oh, come on, it's just part of the you know, etiquette here. Let me get uh, uh, the over with this as quickly as possible. I want to start my sitting. That's where the important part is. Or you know, do we you know, really you know, include you know, that certain bowing as in our you know, field of you know, mindfulness? And the interviews are a bit short, just 10 minutes. So if we were to have, let's say, 20 minutes, then it would be wonderful to ask on occasion, well, how how was your last uh, bowing? Did you notice anything during that uh, particular activity? Now, this other... You know, things that uh, we might certainly at times you know, perform in a you know, somewhat uh, superficial and you know, casual manner. As it is certainly warming up, sooner or later we want to open a window. So 
Yeah, then you have to be clearly conscious of what we're going to do, namely to open a window, and then to bring full mindfulness to this activity of opening one of those sliding windows. So do we do this with just one hand or with two hands? And certainly then are you aware of uh, you know, the force that it takes or the strength that it takes? And uh, maybe there, you know, there might be some pressure in the fingers as you pull down you know, that sudden sliding you know, window. How far do you pull it? How quickly you know, do you, you know, then hit you know, the window frame? And you know, things like this. Now, Very common or well known is uh, you know, that transitions you know, tend to transition in the walking meditation from the end of the lifting process to the beginning of the forward movement, and then you know, the transition from the ending of the forward movement to the beginning of the lowering you know, process. It is during such transitions, as well as transitions between you know, postures, that you know, we lose our you know, mindfulness, and you know, as a result of this, you know, then the mind you know, wanders off. And so those transitions too could certainly be considered as a general activity, and certainly then we pay close attention to them. And suddenly, if we do this suddenly properly, then our practice will surely improve. Now. The entire you know, process of you know, fixing a cup of tea and drinking a cup of tea involves so many steps that suddenly we might pay really close attention to you know, from moment to moment to moment to, you know, to moment. And uh, up to the point you know, where you know, the tea, you know, the hot certain tea, you know, gradually uh, well, when it's suddenly in the mouth, and suddenly then we swallow it, and uh, you know, the you know, hot suddenly we can then even feel you know, the hot suddenly going you know, through you know, the windpipe to some extent, or no doubt through the throat to some extent. So there's suddenly no shortage in terms of you know, general activities. Another one you know, would be if we happen to have you know, some you know, boots or you know, uh, running you know, shoes, you know, then you know, to pay close attention to the process of tying a knot. For a lifetime, we've you know, tied knots. We've learned this you know, in our childhood. No difficulty. We know how to do this, but are we really mindful of all the details uh, involved? And sometimes, when one observes really carefully, it's actually you know, quite astonishing to see you know, what certainly we're all you know, capable of you know, doing uh, in a rather automatic manner. Now, this certainly pretty much brings us to near the end of today's talk. Allow me to conclude by wishing 
equipped certain with certain good and certain strong you know, composure and certain ideally also you know, with a six factor certain equanimity and fully you know, mindful of and clearly comprehending of certain general activities may our practice deepen you know, day by day and uh, may more and more intuitive certain wisdom unfold and uh, may we gain you know, uh, liberation with in uh, this very lifetime. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.